so, uh, do you want to talk Oscars? Yeah, let's talk Oscars. I think this is a this is a first uh, episode of a new podcast for the website that is hosting all of. Uh, the the podcasts that I'm currently working on and my film reviews and uh, I follow Oscars. I know you follow the Oscars pretty closely and I know that you have lots of thoughts about the Oscars and so I thought that it would be really fun to talk with you about the Oscars. So let me introduce things. Welcome to Cinema Cocktail, a podcast that is dedicated to exploring film and the art of the moving image. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. In this first episode, we're going to be diving into Oscar season as the nominations for the 92nd Academy Awards were just announced a few hours ago. Joining me today to help make sense of all of the madness today is Robert Taylor, a screenwriter and a critic over at the Robert Taylor Odyssey, as well as a frequent guest and contributor to the Criterion Reflections and Criterion Now podcasts. Robert, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Josh. Now, I have a serious question right off the bat. Yes. So, it's called Cinema Cocktail. Should we be... It's only 11 a.m. here, but should we be imbibing and get sophisticatedly tipsy over the course of the next hour? I think that is all up to each individual guest. Uh, I personally have, uh, with some of these nominations... I am doing some serious drinking right now because I, you know, there there is a lot to uh, to bemoan in the state of this Oscar uh, list. Uh, yeah, let's let's just talk right about it. What are some of your thoughts in general as you saw the list of nominations? What are a few things that stood out to you? We're not going to go into like really deep. Uh, into some deep analysis, but I do want to just hear some first impressions, some first thoughts. What struck you as you looked over this list? I feel like I'm vaguely happy with the Best Picture nominations. I feel like now that Weinstein is out of the picture, we're getting like some weird curveballs. Like I feel like in other years, Jojo Rabbit or mm. Little Women or Parasite would never have been nominated to make way for whatever the forgettable Weinstein movies of the year were. Yeah. So I'm thankful for that. However, I think especially in the acting categories this year, everything is very predictable and there's yeah. no surprise outside person who you really want to root for. Everything is very expected. Everything is a little bit boring which is quite a shame. Yeah, that was something that really struck me throughout the the look at the nominees that you know, with the the Golden Globes last week kind of giving us our first big surprise of the season with 1917. Now we've really settled into something that feels pretty predictable. Mm -hmm. I feel like Oscar season as as Oscar season has condensed and has become shorter and shorter. Everything is becoming more and more predictable. That the the nominees are more and more predetermined. That it becomes easier and easier to predict who is going to win. And it becomes, like you said, a little less interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the only big surprise that did a rally, which I'm actually quite happy about, was Little Women seems to have rebounded from the slump that it was in with the Golden Globes, yeah. and I'm yeah. very happy that it got as many nominations as it did, but, like, Ford versus Ferrari. 
Was there yeah. a single person in America who didn't leave the theater and go, oh, that's good, and then completely forget the movie existed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the only thing that makes me sad about it on this list is now I actually feel like I'm going to have to see it. Uh, I haven't <laughs> watched it yet, and I was kind of hoping I would be able to avoid it this Oscar season. But Josh, I feel like you've probably already seen it and just forgotten it. <laughs> that's very possible. That's very possible. Um now this is even shorter. I feel like you know Oscar season for a while has remained relatively fixed. You know they they would announce their nominees towards the end of January, and we'd have the ceremony towards the end of February. And now we have a very brisk three weeks from nominations to ceremony. Uh, what are your thoughts on the fact that we have such a tight window now uh, on? the the nominations to the eventual ceremony do you feel like that is going to impact it do you feel like that is going to impact your as a as someone who enjoys the oscars as someone who enjoys the oscar ceremony and being able to watch the films do you feel like that's going to impact your enjoyment of the the process i don't feel like it's going to impact my enjoyment per se i do think that this year is a symptom of the problem that everything is going to get a lot more predictable because there isn't going to be room for those voting mm. to have the surprises or to sit with something and think, oh, maybe Harriet's really just not a good movie and it's yeah. just the lead performance is super good. Mm. And then just sort of forget it and shuffle it to the side, which is something that two Oscars both... Uh, a positive and a detriment is something that has happened in previous years. Uh, movies like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like the most Oscar Beatty movie that fell, Running With Scissors, right? Yeah. Like, in a previous year, I feel like Running With Scissors, it would have come out, everyone would have been like, oh, Annette Bening is super great, and then everyone would realize it's not a good movie, and it per it rightfully falls to the side. This year, I feel like Running With Scissors probably would have gotten four nominations. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I know that, you know, as someone who really, you know, lives in Seattle, lives in a city that has some great art house theaters, but we get things probably two or three months after other areas get them. Uh, so we're always playing catch up, and uh, the, the ability to be able to see some of these films is is really significantly impacted by a shorter season so uh i know that if uh, you know normally i try to see everything that uh, is nominated it's a it's a fun uh kind of marathon to try to watch stuff and i just i look at three weeks to try to cram in a bunch of these films and i just know it's not going to happen this year and i i feel like part of you know the the benefit of Oscars for these mid-sized prestige films is that it allows them some extra marketing power. It allows them to uh, maybe get in front of viewers who wouldn't normally get a chance to see them. And I wonder if that's actually going to hurt their bottom line at the end of the day by having a shorter campaign season. One has to think so. I remember before I moved out to LA. In Ohio, there were two years in a row where all of the nominees for Best Drama at the Golden Globes and then, like, 
six of the eight nominees for best film hadn't even been released yet in Ohio. There was no way to watch these movies that were getting all of the, you know, awards. And it was so frustrating as a movie lover. Like, what are you supposed to do in this situation? You feel completely alienated from the entire process. Yeah, yeah. You know, again... I feel really lucky that we do have theaters in our area that will play a lot of the Oscar shorts and that will try to get some of those foreign language films and some of the documentaries and streaming services are a real boon to that, that there are a lot of films that will be able to be seen there, but it is uh, it's a challenge for that. Uh, you know, the, the golden globes, they aren't necessarily predictive, but again in a shorter awards season they do raise the profile of certain things and i do think that 1917 just did not have any buzz really coming into awards season this year but with its win for best director and for best drama last week it seems to have propelled it down the the field and it's has 10 nominations it is one of the the front runners now uh for best picture and do you think that uh any other trends from the golden globes might hold true as we look forward into the oscars and as oscar voters are looking to maybe maybe looking for guidance on uh, what screeners to prioritize or what screenings to prioritize when they're trying to wade through all of the different films to watch? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing was the propulsion of 1917. There's no spillover between Golden Globe voters and those who vote for the Academy, obviously. Yeah. It's a bunch of journalists versus a bunch of industry professionals. The ones that you should look closer at, of course, are DJ Noms, WGA Noms, and then the Noms, and then the SAG Awards. I feel like 1917 has, like, it's a much, much, much better movie than Bohemian Rhapsody was, obviously. Yeah. But it has that same thing where it was just a bubble film beforehand. It might have made the top, you know, eight or nine, and now it's safely in the middle of the pack. And people are thinking of it, like, maybe as a likely frontrunner because we don't really have a frontrunner, right? Yeah. Irishman is the like, oh, it's Scorsese's epic, of course he's going to get it. But then we thought that way with The Aviator, and we thought that way with uh, innumerable previous movies directed by yeah. Scorsese. So I feel like that's going to jump off. But we should probably talk about Best Picture a little bit later. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I do think, though, something that struck me about the Golden Globes that I wonder if it will hold true... Uh, as we look at uh, the Oscars is it surprised me that with five uh, Netflix films nominated and 15 nominations uh, between them, that there was only one win for any of the Netflix films. And when you consider again, the Irishman being such a prestigious film marriage story, getting a lot of love as well, uh, that, really surprised me and I'm wondering whether we're going to continue to see this this narrative this ongoing narrative of the Netflix backlash in the industry and I know that the Hollywood Foreign Press isn't part of the industry but I know they like to 
play that they're part of the industry with the award ceremony. And so I, I'm curious to know whether you think that the the Netflix and studio and theater association kind of wrangling is still going to be a narrative that plays out over this next award season. I honestly don't think so. I think it has more mm. to do with the fact that Scorsese is very nominated, but he doesn't really ever have frontrunner status. And uh, how do you pronounce his name? No, Bombach. And Bombach just isn't really an Oscar darling aside from screenplays. Yeah. So I feel like the movies were going to be middle of the road, regard middle of the road meaning they're both very very good movies, but they were never going to be frontrunners. Mm. Um, and so. Yeah, I think that it's just another... If it were a different director, if it were a different movie, I think that the story might be different. It just... It does not surprise me that the two movies are sort of middle of the pack. If okay. t Like, if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out via Netflix, no one would be saying it. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's more about the fact that Scorsese has historically been snubbed by Oscars and Baumbach is just not a he's not a bankable director. Yeah, like last year so much was made of the fact that Spielberg was pushing against Roma winning best picture because it was a Netflix film and so and that's why Green Book ugh, uh won <laughs> won the major award. This year no one's been piping up about anything aside from you know uh, just a couple think pieces so I think next year Netflix is going to probably have a movie or two that hits the front runner status and I'm fine with that <laughs> okay okay yeah well let's talk just really briefly about the categories we'll start with tech and uh, when we look at the sound and visual effects categories, is there anything there that really jumps out at you? Uh, we've got Ford v. Ferrari, kind of which feels like a, a natural fit in both uh, the editing and the mixing awards. We've got 1917 in all of the uh, effects and uh, sound awards. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, in both of the sound awards as well. And of course you've got, you know, Star Wars and uh, you've got some Ad Astra as well. Anything, any surprises, anything that jumps out at you in the, the technical awards there? Uh, the only one that really surprised me is, there are two actually, v visual effects. I am shocked that the Irishman got nominated because the special mm. effects for all of the press are not that good. Yeah. And The Lion King is an animated film, so to say that it has visual effects is odd to me. Yeah, yeah. I know that it's been done before. Kubo and the Two Strings was also nominated for Best Visual Effects. However, it just sticks out as an odd choice for the category. Yeah. I'm wondering whether, because it was trumpeted as a live-action film uh, by Disney, even though... Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's not. I, I'm and I'm wondering whether that is going to actually have a uh, an impact on the the award itself, and whether the that is going to maybe push it over the edge a little bit in the the category, and that it that might be the the front runner. Yes, um, I wouldn't be unhappy if it won. It's just again odd to me. I mean, yeah. actually, I take that back. I think 1917 is going to win. Mm, mm. Uh, yeah. 
when we look at the crafts, the hair and makeup, production design, costume design, uh, Jojo Rabbit is uh, getting some some love in the production design and the costume design. It's nice to see little women getting some craft design nods since uh, I was surprised that uh, it wasn't getting more love in these categories before. Uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, not a surprise there either. Uh, Joker, of course, is getting some of that as well. 1917, all of that. Uh, Parasite was my favorite uh, surprise for production design. I think the production design on that is really stellar. Uh, Anything else stand out to you? Anything that you really like seeing on these lists? I'm always a little surprised, especially with makeup and hair, costume design and production design, that they don't do have more big budget movies in it. It feels mm. like even if a larger budget movie, like let's say, I'm just gonna pick one. Like I'm trying to think of a mid, a big budget media, Alita: Battle Angel, right? Yeah. Like the movie looked like a million bucks, probably because yeah. it costs three hundred and fifty million dollars, and the fact that it's not on production design or Avengers Endgame, for example. Yeah. How did Avengers Endgame not get makeup and hair when there were 300 main characters, most of which are aliens? (laughs) Like, I'm happy to see something like Maleficent Mistress of Evil there because it is creative and it is fun, but, like, 1917, they put a lot of sweat on people. Yeah. Good for them. (laughs) You know, I'm wondering whether the, the trend towards digital effects if that has shifted the way people think about makeup design and production design and that there's just a, a bias now mm-hmm. that, that with big budget films, there is more of a belief that that is all of that work is done in post-production and that it isn't quite as handcrafted, which is why something like Joker, which does have more of a, a gritty feel they're able to justify giving that a uh, makeup and hair and costume design award yeah yeah that's a really really good point by the way can i just ask if you like joker yes you can uh and we'll get into it later as well Uh, i honestly hate joker Uh, i hate it so much yeah yeah i'm glad that we can both come to it from that perspective yeah that (laughs) that is uh it's my least favorite movie of the year and uh, we can get into it later. So, <laughs> <laughs> so stay tuned. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, when we get into music, the scores feel pretty standard. Joker won best score at the Golden Globes. Um, and we've got some of the other usual suspects. We've got John Williams for... Star Wars, we've got Randy Newman with Marriage Story, uh, Alexandra Desplat with Little Women. So, you know, it's a it's a good group of people for score. And the songs, I was kind of surprised to see Breakthrough represented in the best song, especially when Beyonce was uh, shut out for Lion King. And, uh, yeah, and... and you know, I think Elton John with Rocket Man seems to be one of the front runners here. Uh, anything kind of uh, catch your eye in the music categories here? 
Uh, well, as far as scores go, I have to say, I'm just going to say it, I think the Joker score is pretty bad. And yeah. I don't think that it's memorable in any way. I am kind of upset that she's going to win. I, she's obviously the front runner. When yeah. Thomas Newman, who composed 1917, I think has been nominated 14 times now without winning. Oh, Thomas wow. Newman of Shawshank Redemption and, you know, all of those classic films. He just keeps getting nominated and he never wins. And she's going to win over John Williams, who now has completed a 40-year musical journey of creating nine of the best uh, scores ever composed for film. And The Joker, which does not have a clear or concise theme, and I would argue uh, is held up by the song choice in the movie. You walk out of the movie thinking of the songs, and then that bleeds over into score, uh, is probably going to win. Um, I like Desplat's music for Little Women. I like that. Uh, Greta Gerwig put it up so high in the mix, and I also think Randy Newman's score for Marriage Story is quite good. It's at odds with the movie, but in a, a good way. But, mm-hmm. argle bargle. Um, breakthrough, I'm not surprised. She's also been nominated like 13 times and never won. Diane Warren, there you go. Yeah. Diane Warren co-wrote it, so I'm not shocked that, you know, she gets out of bed and she's nominated, but does not win. Um, the rest of the songs are fine. I haven't heard the Harriet song in all honesty, but I really like the song from Rocket Man, and I very much like the song from Toy Story 4 as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, what was up with Rocket Man being completely... I thought Taron Edgerton was... The movie's good, but Taron Edgerton I thought was great, and his snub was also a bit surprising for me. Yeah, yeah. Especially, again coming off of some momentum from the Globes and coming off of the, the really the praise that he's been continuing to receive during this award season. Mm-hmm. Uh, short films, these are always really fascinating, especially considering m- most of us haven't seen these yet. Uh, this is where they really start to get on our radar. Over the weekend, I watched a couple of the short animated films, uh, just knowing that they're on the short list. Uh, I was able to watch Hair Love, Kit Bull, and Sister. Uh, Kit Bull is streaming on Disney+, and both Hair Love and Sister are on YouTube for free to watch right now. And they're all really, really nice. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see the other two. Uh, most of, I think, three of the live-action shorts are also available to watch on Vimeo for free right now as well. Uh these are hard to, to judge right now. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts yet on uh, the the short films, Robert. I have not watched a single one. They're going to have some screenings at the Academy, and I'm going to go, and they'll have the lineup, and then I can watch yeah. them all together, but I have not seen them yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, documentaries, these are all pretty much what we were expecting, I think. Uh, American Factory seems to be one of the front runners uh especially oh, i thought there was i was actually kind of surprised apollo 11 was nominated for oh yeah. yeah i thought that that was the front runner and then it was not at all perhaps it was the thing where the voters all assumed it was going to be nominated so they voted for other things with that assumption and then it just fell through the cracks yeah 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 i think that's that's 
possible. I forgot about Apollo 11. That's one of the ones that I've missed uh, this award season. I saw American Factory, which was good. It was a really solid uh, documentary there. Honeyland, I think, is fantastic. I don't see it winning, but it's really compelling. The others are ones that I'm really eager to catch. Edge of Democracy, I've heard really good things about. Uh, For Sama, it's interesting to have both The Cave and For Sama. Both are films about the crisis in Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, For Sama being a slightly more intimate portrait of that uh, from a female filmmaker and her perspective. The Cave is a little more epic and a little more uh, kind of pulse-pounding. So it'll be interesting to see which of these, if any of these, the the Academy ends up going for. I concur. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and again, with the documentary short, short subject, almost all of these are available to catch right now. St. Louis Superman, I think, is the only one that is not currently available to watch. I'll have links on the Cinema Cocktail website for all of the shorts that are available to watch currently online. I'll have a post for that later this week. Um, St. Louis Superman is produced by the new MTV documentaries. And uh, as soon as they make that available, I'll uh, link to that as well. But uh, most of these are available to watch right now, which is one of the nice things about the the current state of streaming media is that most of the short films are accessible right away. I'm also going to say, because I assume people don't have the list right in front of them as we go through, Documentary Short Subject has my favorite name for a movie in the entire list of nominations, which is Learning to Skateboard in a War Zone if You're a Girl. <laughs> yeah, I think I that's... I mean, a... how can you say it and not smile? Yes, and uh, that one looks really fascinating. It's uh, currently streaming on A&E on their web app and it is a documentary about uh young girls in kabul who are learning how to skateboard and uh, it it really sounds like a, a deeply moving piece yeah uh all right let's move to some of the 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 stuff that i know people in our kind of online film community robert really care about film things like cinematography and editing uh, when we look Are we at this, gonna make them all mad at us. <laughs> uh, it, it's possible. It's possible. Uh, when we look at the cinematography and editing awards, I, this is interesting. I think the the biggest surprise to me and the most pleasant surprise for me, anyway, was seeing that the Lighthouse got a nomination. I was really happy to see that. Yes, it was a very pleasant surprise. The movie looks like nothing else, like nothing we've seen in probably 60 years of cinema. Yeah. So yeah. it was a wonderful, pleasant surprise for me as well. Yeah. Uh, and Parasite getting an editing nomination was really great as well. I think, you know, having Parasite get this many craft and uh, just award nominations across the board is really exciting. I agree. I'm very happy that it's sort of stepping forward as a frontrunner in the way that other really classic foreign films like Talk to Her or Volver never quite got that support across the board. And so it's nice to see a really deserving nomination for it. Yeah. Anything else in these two categories that you really resonate with? Well, for cinematography, even though we both hate the Joker, we probably can agree that it looked very good. 
Um, Richardson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, not a surprise. Irishman yeah. looked very good as well. It's Deacons to lose, though, with the one shot. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And in terms of editing, they'll probably give it to Ford versus Ferrari because revving engines and, you know, all yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, 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 the the flashiness of the editing there. <laughs> I can't wait to have a bunch of people who don't really understand anything about editing make jokes about the fact that the irishman is three and a half hours it's the least edited movie you see it on the facebook feed every year (laughs) yes yes yeah i really have to say i when i think about just the the ways in which uh how how tight the pacing is on something like parasite uh, it makes me appreciate the work that goes into making that film work i mean that that film is such a tightly controlled contraption of a film that if one shot is held too long if one moment is overplayed it, you know it lives and the movie dies falls apart. yeah it is it is just it is so perfectly constructed and i think you know there are so many films this year that were that live in I mean, every film lives and dies based on its editing, but there are some films that you can kind of fudge it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think about films like Parasite, I think about Knives Out, I think about other films that are really kind of these kind of clockwork contraptions. And Parasite just is an exemplary example of how that works, yeah. I concur. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move on to animated film. Uh, this was a surprise. No Frozen 2 in the animated film category. That was a shocker to me. Uh, it was a shocker to me, too. But I think the feeling is that even though kids love it, it's not as good as the first. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a little half-baked. I'm all in for Missing Link. Yeah. I It was my favorite animated movie of the year. I thought it was just a, so much fun. Plus, it, Toy Story 4 was very good. Uh, I haven't seen Klaus, uh, Claws. I haven't seen I Lost My Body. And How to Train Your Dragon was a, was a fitting send-off to the trilogy, a solid B. But okay. I'm all in on Missing Link. <laughs> yeah, I really love the Leica team. I think that everything that they have done has been really outstanding and uh it and we really don't want them to go out of business (laughs) no it wasn't my favorite of theirs but i do think it still manages to capture that nice blend of humor and darkness and warmth and empathy that that i just think that they are so good at and uh you know i find so many family films and so many children's films to be so uh, cloying and they never descend into that that frenetic mess that so many kids films descend into and so yeah I, I'm wholly on board with Missing Link I've heard great things about I Lost My Body and uh, yeah I'm excited to catch that and to have that and Klaus both on Netflix at least I can catch up with those pretty easily my friends who work at Dream my friends who work at DreamWorks are all over the moon. Even though Claws is not their movie, they're all mm. over the moon about it and so excited they got the nomination. So I assume it's great. <laughs> That's great. That's great. 
Uh, international film nominees. We've got the Corpus Christi, Honeyland, Les Miserables, Pain and Glory, and Parasite. Uh, I will just say that the my heart sank when I saw this list and I saw that Maddie Diop's Atlantics was not on the list. That to me was the, the, the saddest omission from the international film list and the saddest omission from the entire uh, nominations. I thought that that was one of my favorite films of the last year. And uh, it just, I feel like uh, it's just, it's one of those, those, like burning last year the the omission of burning that was very sad to me so this is this is one of those ones that i i wish they would have would have gotten it uh, i feel are, your pain yes yes uh what 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 strikes you in this list of I, uh, international films i've only seen three i've only seen les miserables uh pain and glory and parasite all three i love Okay. Okay. So I'm happy. Uh, Almodovar is back and super awesome. I, although I did love Julieta as well, which was not nominated. Parasite is one of my top three movies of the year. Yeah. Les Misérables um, is much, 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 much better than Russell Crowe singing. Yes, I've heard really great things about Les Misérables. I like Honeyland a lot, so I'm happy to see that on the list. Um, yeah, the the. I haven't seen Corpus Christi. Uh, it's a it, it's a it's a brutal it's a brutal blood fest. This five film ballot that they have to get to. I concur. <laughs> uh, let's look at adapted and original screenplay. We have. I don't think there's anything that's too surprising here. But what stands out to you when you look at the list? Joker getting nominated is... Okay. I'm just gonna say, I am very happy that a comic book movie was nominated for adapted screenplay. I was happy when Logan was nominated. It said blah, blah, blah. The fact that The Farewell, which was Lulu Wang literally adapting her own radio story about her life was not nominated is kind of infuriating to me. Yeah. I'm not going to curse because I don't know if I can curse, but it is very like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I find that absolutely ridiculous. Um, the other nominees, yay. Uh, I work for Ryback, so I, have to be Switzerland for the two popes. <laughs> um, and in terms of original screenplay, where the nominees are "1917," "Knives Out," "Marriage Story," "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood," and "Parasite," that's a solid list. That's yeah. I'm over the moon. I think that all five screenplays are great. Yeah, the original screenplay category is really great. I think that's a, a very solid lineup. I'm very happy to see Greta Gerwig nominated. I have to say that her adaptation is stunning mm-hmm. what she does and how she brings louisa may alcott's story and her life into the the fabric of the film is just stellar and i really hope that she gets recognized for it because i do think that it is uh i think that it is it is masterful and it shows a deep understanding of the material, and I think it shows a deep understanding of why that story is still relevant today. Uh, and uh, it would be a real, it would it would be honestly horrible if she 
does not win this award, I think. I agree, and I think we're going to both complain when we get to Best Director that she was nom- not nominated over yes. Todd Phillips. Yeah. Um, so she should walk away with it. The fa- But it's you make a very good point. It's a masterful adaptation. She brings in the reality of Alcott's life, but also we have to give her credit. She messes with things with the timeline uh, while still keeping probably like... 50% of the dialogue is straight from the book. So yeah. she's she manages to be very audacious with her adaptation while still mm-hmm. managing to keep it very, very grounded in what we love about the story. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about the actors now. The actors. This is the one that you said you have some frustrations with because of the uh, the predictability of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we look at the lead actors, you know, like you said, there are no surprises here. Uh, we have Antonio Banderas. We have DiCaprio. Driver. I suppose he's a bit of a surprise, Banderas. Like yeah. everyone was. Let's just look really quick. Everyone was expecting. I'm just bringing up actor really quickly. Yeah. On Gold Derby, everyone was saying that. Uh, Taron Egerton was going to get it, and as I said, I'm upset he wasn't, but, you know, you could do worse than Antonio Banderas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I do think that, you know, Pain and Glory, uh, you know, I'm, I'm eager to revisit Pain and Glory. It's one that I really appreciated, and I think will really benefit from me a second viewing, because uh, I think Banderas' performance is a career high for him. I think it is the it's the pinnacle of what he has done as an actor. It's incredible. And, uh, what really makes me sad is that it looks like Phoenix is probably going to win for Joker for Mm -hmm. what is his maybe least compelling performance in the last few years. Yes. It's as if they were just saying, Oh, just do some weird stuff. I'm going to record it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and that that to me I find really sad, uh, especially considering it feels like I haven't seen the two popes yet, but it seems like he is what he's doing in Joker is the least compelling out of all of the nominees. Uh, I agree, and like no Eddie Murphy, I was really yeah, sort of yeah. expecting that. And even like outside things like Adam Sandler from Uncut Gems, yeah. I would have welcomed yeah. or like. The lead guy from 1917 who is getting no nominations, but I think is pretty incredible. And the, George McKay. Yeah. He, like, it's just all boring and predictable. Okay, I'm done. I'll stop complaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I was going into this uh, Oscar season expecting Banderas to be the front runner, And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's really sad to me that the the narrative has shifted so much. Uh, that Phoenix is now the front runner, but mm-hmm. that's the th- them's the breaks. Them's the breaks, Robert. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> luckily, I think uh, up next is supporting actor, and we can be a little happier about. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think this is an interesting slate here. Tom Hanks, Anthony. He's Hopkins. finally broken the curse. He got nominated again. It's yeah. been over a decade, I think. I didn't realize that until I was putting together the list and doing some research. I did not realize that he had not been nominated since Castaway. I know you like you think Captain Phillips would have been like 
not only would he have been nominated, but one would think he would be the frontrunner just for that climactic scene alone. But yeah. no, yeah. everyone always is like, yeah, he's good, and then forgets. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, we've got Pacino and Pesci from The Irishman, who will probably cancel each other out. And then we've got Brad Pitt, who is probably going to win. I think that's a safe assumption. Yep. Um, we've got, for lead actress, we've got <laughs> Cynthia Erivo, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, uh, Shosha Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and Renee Zellberger for Judy. It's all fairly it's it's what we've all expected right yeah i mean i would keep sorcerer it's not that the other four are bad yeah <laughs> let me just like scarlett johansson is very good charlize theron does a very good job at mimicking renee zellweger does the same thing it's just i mean aquafina how could you not like yes. what a wonderful star making performance even though she was gaining tra- like now you know that she's an incredible actor. Lupita Nyong'o from Us gave yep. for me the performance of the year. How can you not yeah. say that that is one of the best performances of the year? Alfre Woodard in, uh, in Clemency. Clemency. Yep. Like, I genuinely, this is me being naive, but I truly was like, oh, of course they're going to nominate her. She's just the best in everything. Yeah, and... Clemency. Clemency was on my favorite films of the year list, and that that was one of the most profoundly heartbreaking and gut-wrenching films I've seen this year. And the fact that it was shut out of the conversation, I think, is a, is really tragic. A travesty. Yeah. Um, but uh, the stuff that she does with her eyes and her lips, especially in that closing sequence, is just insanely good. And then, uh, this is just me, because Gloria Bell was my favorite movie yeah. of the year, aside from Little Women, like... I wanted Julianne Moore to get a nomination, but that's fine. I find it... A li- I don't like to bring up, like, race, and I don't like to bring up, uh, you know, why weren't women nominated for Best Director, and so on and so forth. I feel like the best performances should be the ones that are nominated regardless of your race. However, the fact that Lupita, Aquafina, and Alfre were so easily looked over is a little frustrating to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think after after we finish this, I would like to talk a little bit about the continuing lack of representation because I do think this is a conversation that keeps coming up, and I think it's it's worth talking about at least a little bit here because I do think that we see you know we're going to talk about this with director as well you know the the slate is pretty white the slate is pretty male and we're about to switch to supporting actress where the one woman of color uh who was the front runner to not only be nominated but win was not yes 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 so let's talk about supporting actress now we have Kathy Bates, Laura Dern, Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh for Little Women, who I thought was fantastic and mm-hmm. made and is the only actor who has ever made me care about Amy in Little Women. And mm-hmm. we have Margot Robbie. And it, again, like you said, it's all a fairly fairly standard here. Yeah, how again, if there were any sort of if there were any sort of justice in the world, the women from Parasite yeah. would fill up two of these slots. Yeah. The grandmother from The Farewell would fill up the third slot. 
Uh, I actually love Florence Pugh, Pugh, whatever. Yeah. And I thought that Scarlett Johansson was outstanding in Jojo Rabbit. She was my favorite performance in the movie. The others were, oh, they had a couple good monologues, and so they slid in. And I say that with apologies to Laura Dern, because I think she's an incredible actress. I just think that she should have been nominated for a role that was that met her uh that was as good as she was <laughs> yeah 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 it's uh it's it's a really really frustrating thing when you see the same actors often getting nominated this is margot roby's third nomination now Mm-hmm. in as many years and this one feels like I you know I haven't seen Bombshell yet but it feels like this was a preordained nomination yeah she's fine mm-hmm. don't like yeah. it is not enough for me to be like I'm gonna yeah. knock down doors and whatnot. like no. all of them were good yeah it's just there were better wh- not performances yeah why not throw in a little Penelope Cruz in Pain and Glory yeah like yeah. why not just surprise us a little bit yeah yeah well speaking of lack of surprises let's get to the directing nominees Ugh. we I have mean, yay. I mean, there, there are some yays and some oohs as well we There's have one ugh. yeah we have a uh, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite we have Sam Mendes for 1917 Todd Phillips for Joker uh, Martin Scorsese for The Irishman and Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think both of us, uh, our uh is for Todd Phillips in uh, for Joker. Yep. Yeah. Like yeah. Ryan Johnson, Almodovar, so many other good options. But it's fine. It's totally, if he wins, I will be pissed. Like Gerwig, yeah. um, Taika, uh, Taika Waititi, like and again i keep saying people who are minorities yeah um that said i am very happy tarantino was nominated i thought that it was a very nice comeback from hateful eight which i did not enjoy at all i am happy i am very happy scorsese is nominated because this feels like a beautiful like even though he's going to continue making movies it feels like he is actively closing a book on a very specific part of his career it's like a victory lap I'm very excited about uh, Bong Joon-ho being nominated for Parasite. Sam Mendes more than deserves his nomination. It's just that fifth slot, they had an opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just, it, Joker just strikes me, you know, it, it has walked away with the most nominations out of any film this year. Mm. And it, it, it strikes me that they are overcompensating for, I mean, you know, you know, we, we speak about this as if it's, you know, one person making this decision. This is a bunch of people voting. So it's not like, uh, uh, this is, uh, a bunch of people getting together and making a decision collectively in a room. You know, this is, this is ballots and, and, but you you get the sense that the the academy as a body is voting to try to appeal to a larger audience and uh and joker to me just feels like the wrong call yeah exactly they're trying to turn in 
they're trying to turn Joker into Black Panther, and the pro- yes. the problem is Black Panther was a good movie, and Joker is not. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and let's let's move to to Best Picture. I think that uh, it's you know a decent slate. I think. Uh, yeah, for my money, I'd switch out Ford versus Ferrari with uh, something like Pain and Glory or The Farewell. Yeah. But aside from that, it is a solid, is it nine? Yeah, it's a solid nine. Yeah. I would get rid of Joker completely as well. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Joker, yeah. goodbye. Yeah, uh, and switch that out with something better. I, You know, I would have loved to see Clemency on here as well. I think uh, that's maybe a too bitter of a pill for uh, Oscar voters and uh, audiences to swallow. But the... Maybe a knives out. Maybe yeah, maybe a, a knives out. Knives yeah. out. Yeah, uh, I think that. Uh, yeah, Little Women. I think I was really happy to see that here. I do wish that uh, Greta Gerwig would have gotten the nomination for Best Director. I think that that would have been really nice to see there. I concur. Even though we both detest Joker, yes, at least it's an audacious movie. Yeah. Right, at least it's a movie that tries something. The thing that I like about this list, aside from Ford versus Ferrari, is each one of the movies is very much making a stand. Like it feels like an interesting choice. It does not feel like Lion, or it does not feel like The King's Speech, and it they feel like movies that have a clear vision behind them, which I very much appreciate. Well, and like you said, they're not Weinstein films, right? They're, yeah, exactly. They're not that bland prestige picture that you would get uh, so often. I think that uh, I think my biggest problem with Joker, and it, you know, I thought it was fine. Is that it doesn't have a theme? <laughs> well, is that there's that the acting's terrible. Is that you're supposed to sympathize with him, and he only kills people who are. Uh, bad people so you can still sympathize with him even though he's a murderer sorry i'm done (laughs) no you know i i i got angrier and angrier with the film after i walked away from it the more i i realized how little there was that was actually saying about life there was this this sophomoric nihilism that thought it was being profound but really didn't have actually anything to say and and I think that was what bothered me the most was that it 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 wanted to be something deeply thoughtful and ended up actually really just saying nothing at all. <laughs> and, right, and, like, and then the people who love the movie say, "Oh, but it's the Joker. It's supposed to be about anarchy." And I'm like. But it's not. It's saying that it's about things. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. It's it's completely misreading its audience. Ugh. Yeah, and okay. and I think that and I think that it's 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 attempt or it's it's belief that it's actually saying something serious, while not actually saying anything serious, is what really bothers me. That it it is a a film that really pretends uh to to be something deeper than it is and it 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 bothers me quite a bit so yeah someone who is mentally ill but then vaguely mentally ill like we're not actually going to say what's wrong with him in any way so it's 
sort of it's ableist just to begin with and then he says throughout the entire movie oh i don't really care about anything but then can do a three minute monologue espouting exactly what the film is about before spoiler alert he shoots robert de niro in the head yeah Yeah. where people were cheering in the theater that i saw it in and it's fine yeah (laughs) yeah and so that just it the fact that we're we're supposed to then root for for the the violence that he inflicts on the bad people it just by the end of it i was i was done i was done with it and i'm done with the 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 attempts at kind of self-righteous i'm gonna take this seriously and and the yeah it just it by the end of it i was really i really hated the film uh so i you know there's a lot that i really like though on this list uh, I, have, I know we should we should yeah. end it on a good note as opposed <laughs> exactly to... but you know i do have to say i haven't had a chance yet to see the irishman or marriage story i've been you know spending a lot of my time with uh, the criterion channel so most of my time has been spent in uh uh, in old Hollywood and in classic foreign art house films. So I'm very excited to catch up with those over the next few weeks. Uh, I will say that once upon a time in Hollywood, I, I'm with you. Hateful eight, just, I hated that film so much. And it, it, I did not go into once upon a time in Hollywood expecting to enjoy it. Uh, I was ready to just, I, I Tarantino had lost me with Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I loved more than I expected so uh, I'm I'm happy to see that Tarantino is back a bit I agree Hateful Eight is nah, asinine and this is like a solid 4 out of 5 yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh, do you have any final thoughts on the nominations anything that stands out to you after we've gone over all this just my usual in general that I said last year and the year before, pardon me, last year, is I am happy that we are moving away, as, at least with the best, the best pictures, of all of the expected Oscar bait. Mm. I just wish that that would be reflected in the acting nominations as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Robert, thank you. This has been fun. Uh, I will probably want to check in with you again a couple more times before or maybe once more after uh, before the oscars and maybe right after the oscars to do a little debrief and uh we can commiserate uh over how the oscars go uh, yeah after you finish seeing them we should do the will win should win thing. yeah i think that sounds great that sounds really good uh this has been a lot of fun where can people find you online uh goodness they can find me uh on facebook they can go to my website which i assume you will have in the notes uh where i am finishing up a year of watching all of the physical criterion release releases and now going back into my film noir odyssey awesome awesome uh, well, you can find the show at cinemacocktail.com and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're at cinemacocktail.com, you can check out some of our other shows, including Criterion Channel Surfing and the Seattle Cinema Almanac, as well as news, film reviews, and analysis. 
You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Cinema Cocktail, the website, and all of our shows are supported by our audiences, so please consider making a monthly pledge to help keep things running by visiting patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck. For $5 a month, you get early access to reviews and all of our podcasts, and for $10, you get the opportunity to suggest titles for bonus episodes of our podcasts. As always, I'd like to thank our current Patreon supporters. Your support has been so incredible, and I am really grateful. Uh, well, Robert and I will probably be back in a few weeks with some more Oscar coverage, so I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Thank you.